Let's pray. Lord, forgive us our sins in the same manner in which we forgive the sins of others. For Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. First of all, I want to thank Mark Pulliam for filling in last week. Uh, Those of you who were here, uh, you know it was an excellent message. I've had a chance to listen to it and enjoyed it very much. If for some reason you bailed out last week or weren't able to be here, you can still listen to it. It's posted on our website. You can go to flctexas.com and you can listen to it. But that was last week. Let's move on to this week. You know, everybody here has had a broken relationship of one kind or another somewhere in their life. They range from small to large. In fact, I'll be honest with you, Nancy and I dated for when I was a senior and she was a sophomore in high school, and then we broke up for a while and then got back together a few years later and got married. There was a broken relationship for a while. There are some people who one day, the people you thought were your friends in school, the next day didn't want anything to do with you, and that kind of fractured a relationship. Some of them are really big. You know, when people go through a horrendous divorce, it's a fractured relationship. What happens when we have those is that we feel pain, and what we often do is build walls around us so we never have to feel that pain again. Now, in order to build some relationships, then, you've got to tear down those walls And that's what we've really been talking about now for about six weeks. We've been talking about different ways, six different healing choices in life that you can use to tear down the walls that exist between you and God and walls that exist between you and other people. Now, we've talked about choices that we can make, and they are, honest to goodness, choices that you can make that can either create or keep us in our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. And we talked about making different choices. It can open up possibilities to us that could make us radically different. I want to just review with you very quickly. This is not on your outline anywhere, but just so you know. In week number one, we talked about the reality choice. And the reality choice was just to realize that I'm, I'm not God. And I also realize I'm incapable of doing anything about my current situation. In week number two, we talked about the hope choice. I earnestly believe, I earnestly hope that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to change me. In the third week, we talked about the commitment choice, and that's where we consciously commit our entire life to God and to his care and his control. The fourth week, two weeks ago now, was the house cleaning choice. And in the house cleaning choice, we said, I openly examine myself I confess my faults not only to myself, but to God, and perhaps to another person. Last week, Mark talked to you about the transformation choice, where you voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in your life, and humbly ask him to get rid of all of those character defects that you have. Now, today we're moving on to what I call the relationship choice. And the relationship choice is simply this. I evaluate all of my relationships, I offer forgiveness to those people who have hurt me, and I make amends for any harm that I may have caused other people 
And I'm going to toss in a little caveat here, except when to do so would harm them or harm other people. Now, as we look at number six today, reestablishing these relationships by either offering forgiveness to people who hurt us or maybe receiving it, we're going to focus on two different Beatitudes. Uh, one is Matthew 5, verse 7. that says, happy are those who are merciful to others. And Matthew 5, verse 9, that says, happy are those who work for peace. Now, I thought about doing this this morning, but I thought about giving every last one of you a piece of paper and a pencil. And what I wanted you to do was to sit there, and I wanted you to start writing out every hurtful word that anyone has ever said to you that you can remember. Every wound that anybody ever afflicted on you. Every relationship that has ever been broken in your life. Every person who has ever betrayed you. Every person who's ever done something to you that made you mad or angry, that ruined a relationship. But I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. Because we'd all still be writing on that piece of paper until the day Jesus came back. Quite honestly, if we sat here and thought about everything that somebody's done to us or that we've done to other people that hurt people or hurt ourselves, the list would be pretty endless. Now, the reason is, is because we love poorly. You get that? We love poorly. We, we tell people we love them, but we don't really do it very well. We just don't love well either. And because we don't, we constantly hurt each other. I have a cartoon in my uh, office. It's a guy, his tongue is sticking out. It's kind of big, long tongue, and he's got a gear shift in his head. And it said, be sure to sh make, make sure your brain is in gear before you set your tongue into motion. And I wonder how many times I've just ever said something to somebody because I thought it was funny or cute, but they found it to be very hurtful or harmful. We just don't love well, we love poorly, and because we don't, we hurt each other. Now, in Matthew 18, what Dennis read to us this morning is a, a disturbing, in fact, I find it disturbing, a very disturbing story, and yet a very profound story about, uh, a very profound story about forgiveness. Now, I need to tell you something. I'm very uncomfortable with our gospel reading for today. I'm very uncomfortable. It's in my Bible. I know where it is. Matthew 18. Dennis just read it. It's right in my worship folder. But I really wish that in my Bible it had a little asterisk by it. So I could go down to a footnote at the bottom of my Bible and I could read something like this. This passage is not found in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. See, that way I could look at Matthew 18 and say, ha, guess I don't need to pay attention to that one if it's not in the original manuscript. But... It's not in there. And believe me, I tried different translations. No asterisk. This is one of those stories that Jesus told. He told it to his disciples, and he told it for a reason. He told it to change our lives. Two profound thoughts that come out of that. That's what I'm going to share this morning. Just two very profound thoughts, particularly, and I want you to know that quite often the sermons, I, I write them not only for you, but I write them for me as well. More often than not. And I'm going to just share with you two lessons I've learned as I've gone back and looked at Matthew 18. They encourage me, and I hope they'll encourage you as well, uh, particularly as you work on repairing some relationships that you may 
have damaged. Or as you even go and extend forgiveness and grace to other people who may have hurt or damaged you. See, it works both ways. Here's the first principle I want I want that Jesus shared. It's so very simple. It's this. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. Just that simple. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. Now, I want you to just stop and think about that for a moment. You and I owe a great big debt to God. It is a gigantic, unpayable debt. I don't know when you heard that before, when the guy said he owed him $100,000. If I owed somebody $100,000, it'd be hard to pay back. Now, for some of you, you know, it's chump change. You know, John, you got it in your pocket, I know. Uh, but, you know, for some of you, know, you, you I've talked about a million dollars for you. But whatever this huge debt is, an unpayable debt, it's compiled of everything that you've ever said or done or thought. Can you imagine how big a pile that would be? Said, done, and thought from day one. It comes by virtue of the fact, little JJ, he's been passed around, you were conceived in sin, you were born in sin, you are nothing but a sinner. That, that's where all that big pile of debt comes from. But it's not just the little babies, Ava, the other ones I see. It's all of us. And like the servant who said, oh, let me work it off. I'll pay you back. And he could not do that. Neither can you or I. If Amber, I'm going to give you some bad news here, young lady. If you were to work as hard as you could, if you kept every commandment from 10, 10, 10 until the day you die, if you never ever said another unkind word to me, the grandma and grandpa, brothers and sisters, if you gave all of your stuff away to poor people, if you did everything you could possibly think of to be nice to the people in school and in church and where you live, if you never ever had another grumpy day and all you ever did was just smile and be happy, it would not be enough. Now, why did the king forgive this guy? Better question. Why should God forgive you? Why does God forgive us of this gigantic debt that is so big that we can't possibly pay it back. Why should he show mercy on us? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Because of Jesus. The debt did not remain unpaid. You couldn't pay it. I couldn't pay it. But Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did in taking your debt that you owe, God has had mercy on you and me. Now, I want to take you to a different story I just marked it up there, Luke 15, the prodigal son. I'm going to call it the prodigal daughter, too. Uh, some of you know this story. It, it's a, a story about a wealthy man who's got two sons. The younger one comes to his dad one day and, and says, Dad, I'm sick of you. Don't like you. Don't like hanging around here anymore. I'm done with the way of life. I'm done with your stupid rules. I, I could care less about your values. But what I want you to do is I want you to give me my half of the inheritance now. Now, I can boil that down to two words that this young boy said to his dad. You know what he said to his dad? 
drop dead. Because you don't get an inheritance until somebody's dead. Can you imagine walking into your parents and say, drop dead? What a horrible thing that is to say. But surprisingly, the father does not say, are you nuts? Get out of here. I've always been surprised by that because I think if my kids came in, I remember when my kids came in and asked for an allowance. <laughs> I said, I've already given you an allowance. We let you live here for free. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> well, the father, though, with tears in his eyes, handed this rebellious son half of the inheritance and basically said, God, go with you, son. Here you go. The son went and lived, at least the Bible says, a riotous life. <laughs> it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, if we had to put it in modern vernacular. He did everything possible that could have gotten him into trouble. But then the money ran out, and guess what? When your money runs out, so do your friends. He finds himself, hands and knees, in a pig pen, pushing Porky and Petunia out of the way to eat the slop that they're eating. Now, when he's down there, the Bible says, quote, when he came to his senses. Isn't that amazing? When he came to his senses. He said, I'd be better off being a servant in my father's house. He does not anticipate for a moment that he's going to go back in and become the son one more time. He knows he does not deserve it. He deserves nothing but the least. So he says, I go back. If I tell my dad, Dad, you don't need to treat me like a son. If you just let me be a servant, if you just let me live kind of close to where you are, that'll be enough. I know I don't deserve anything else. So that son heads back home, where, lo and behold, the father is waiting and watching. Now, i got to tell you something, this kind of aside. You know why the father was waiting and watching? Because if that boy had come back into town that village would have stoned him to death. I mean, he had told his dad to drop dead, and in villages, they took that very seriously. So his dad was watching out for him because he didn't want that son to be hurt. But he's standing there waiting and watching, and when he sees his son, he does a very unmanly thing. He grabs the bottom of his skirt, pulls it up, tucks it in that little belt, and he runs. I mean, old men do not run. Not even in our day and age. And it says when he got him, he grabbed him, he hugged him, he kissed him. He probably said, you look like my son, but where have you been? Now, I don't know, did we get this picture in here, Rembrandt? Look at this painting. Should be come up there. Next slide. Back, go back, go backwards. There you go. This is a famous painting by Rembrandt. He painted one of the most beautiful paintings in the world, and if you look very closely, Rembrandt put something in that painting to make a point. Now, I posted that on my blog this last week, and I had all kinds of answers, like uh, the boy has only got one shoe on. Well, he was poor. No, that wasn't the point. I didn't find a single person who could figure out what was unusual about that painting. I'm going to direct your attention to where it is, though. I want you to look at the father's hands. The father's hands. If you look very closely, you'll see that they do not match. One's bigger. Actually, 
One is very masculine, and the other one is very feminine. Rembrandt did this to represent the love of a parent, the love of a father and mother welcoming home a child. Nancy, you and I know how that works. Been there, done that. Welcomed a child home. Some of you other parents have done the same thing. Kids have done some things that are pretty stupid. And you stood there and you waited for them, and when the time came and they wanted to come home, you said, come here. Welcome home. See, this Bible passage in, in, in here in Luke 15 tells us that we have a father, we have a king who sees the debt that we owe, knows it's enormous, yet he does not approach us with anything but open arms. And some people, they got the prodigal son come up, they got an arm up because they want to smack you. But the loving father says, come here, I've missed you, you're my child. You know, because of that, Psalm 103, verse 1, is, is a prayer that I, I, I pray a lot. It comes to mind, very simply, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, bless his holy name. I mean, who am I that God should welcome me home? You see, friends, the Lord has graced you, he's had mercy on you, and because he's treated you this way, he asks us to treat other people in the same way. So because I receive mercy and forgiveness, I can forgive other people. Now, we'd say, well, that's pretty simple. A plus B equals C. God forgives me. I forgive you. Isn't that the way it is in your life? Is that the way it works in your life? God forgives you. You forgive everybody else? I think there's a problem. I'll be the first to admit it this morning. I don't always like to forgive. I don't always like to forgive, and I bet you don't either. The biggest barriers in my personal relationships through almost 47 years of being married to Nancy through about 45 years of being a parent, through all the close relationships that I have ever had in my life, the deepest barriers that I have to success in my relationships is me being selfish. It's me not wanting to forgive other people. So instead of God forgives me and I forgive you, more typically it goes this way, God forgives me but I'm not going to forgive you. And you know something? There is something very distorted and downright dangerous with that kind of thinking pattern and that way of responding. That leads us to our second truth. Here's our second truth. It's a very chilling, disturbing truth. The unforgiving become the unforgiven. That ought to scare you a little bit. Let's go back to the king and the servant for a moment. I don't know about you, but I could have auditioned for that part. I think I could have got the role of the unforgiving servant at different times in my life. See, I want mercy from God. I want God to forgive me. I want him to excuse it. I want him to look at me and say, oh, Barry, you had a bad day yesterday. That's okay. I want people that I've hurt to say, Ah, it was just a bad day. It was a rough week. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I just I forgive you. But when it comes to the sin and the failures of the people that I love, it's a whole different story. If you hurt me, I am no longer interested in mercy. What am I interested in? 
I want justice. You ever seen that bumper sticker, I don't get mad, I just get even? Yikes. If you're not careful, you tell other people, if you're not careful, if you, if you hurt me, I'll bring it up. In fact, I'll blab it all over the church. Hmm. Man, God must just about fall off his throne when he hears that you'd blab it all over the church, how you're so unforgiving. You think you're telling God something he doesn't know? He knows what that other person did to you. He also knows you. You're wrong. You're wrong. We all have a catalog of hurts. There's no doubt about it. In fact, some of my hurts, I think I've almost assigned the Dewey Decimal System to it. <laughs> Nancy, aren't you in the librarian? I mean, you can hop in the library, you know, BK846.3. Uh, <laughs> oh, I remember when you did that one to me. But in this story about the king, the king hears about what this ungrateful servant does. He calls that first servant back and he says, You evil, wicked man. I forgave you a $100,000 debt and you couldn't forgive a $10 debt? What's the matter with you? Why couldn't you have mercy? And then, did you catch it? He threw him into prison to be tormented. In fact, I had Dennis read from the message this morning because I love the way it, it says. It said he put the screws to him. I love that. But do you have any idea? That sounds funny. It's not very funny. In other words, it means torture that guy. I mean, they literally put his hands under things and screwed them down and crushed those fingers. They put it, they, man. The idea is if you're not forgiving, at the very least, you need to understand that you have created your own torture chamber in this world. And if you think this is only an isolated teaching that, well, I'm glad this is only in Matthew 18. Man, i got a whole list of passages for you in your outline. I'm not going to read them all, but Matthew 5, 7, God blesses those who are merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Uh, Mark 11:25. when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Or Luke, or James 2, 13, for there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will run out over his judgment against you. I read a wonderful quote this last week. It says this, As long as we are unable to forgive, we keep ourselves chained to the unforgiving. We give them rent-free space in our mind, emotional shackles in our heart, and the right to torment us in the small hours of the night. We talked about 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. It's time. We've passed 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. But I want to tell you, friend, it's time. It's time for all of us to forgive. It's time for us to let loose the offender. It's time to stop telling the story about what everybody's done to us or what maybe what they're doing to you. It's time to stop stabbing yourself with the pain that you feel because you cannot or will not forgive. I mean, you've been forgiven such a huge debt. Whatever wound that you might have as a result of somebody else is not nearly as grievous as the wound that your sin caused Jesus. Now, I know for some of you that's hard to believe because you don't picture yourself as being, quote, very bad sinners. You know, you're, you're just kind of a nice sinner. 
You know, you've never done anything that was evil, wicked, bad, and nasty. You know, a lot of us would sit there very comfortable in our Lutheran pew. You know, little Lucy Lutheran and Larry Lutheran. Our little kids, Lucinda, Lewis. And we say, we don't really have some horrific story that would make the hair stand up on the back of the neck of somebody. But I'll tell you what you do have. You may not have the big story. You may not have the big whopping sin. You may not have the sent to Angola story. But I'll tell you what you do have. Every last one of you, starting with me all the way to the back, you have an unpayable debt to God. But you've got an unpayable debt that was paid by Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now the question is, how do we do this? Now if I entered my sermon right now, it would be kind of like, yikes. Man, I'm in deep weeds here. Now how can I get out of it? Out of it? Well, I think there are two ways that I know of. I'm going to share two ways. Neither of them is very easy. And that's why I wore this tie today. By the way, thanks, Muriel. <laughs> you see that tie? What does it say on there, James? Paid in full. It's a cross made out of nails. So here's, here's the very first thing. How do I come up forgiven? Nail it to the cross. Take whatever your problem is. Take the unforgiveness. Take the bitterness. And figuratively nail it to the cross. I mean, nail to the cross of the, of the man who paid the debt, who forgave you, and settled it for all. When Jesus stood hang on the cross and it said, it is finished, the Greek word is tetelestai, which is an accounting term, which means paid in full. In Matthew 18, guess what? That servant didn't get another chance. They were putting the screws to him. I'm here this morning to give you some good news, folks. You have another chance. Got another chance. It doesn't really matter who it is that you've not forgiven. Doesn't make any difference who you got a grudge against. You have another opportunity right now to actually do something about it. This is your moment. See, refusing to forgive somebody I would suggest is one of the best barometers of your walk with God. Now, some of you might find that kind of odd. Let me say that again. Refusing to forgive other people might be the best barometer of your walk with God. Now, I, I know that there, churches are full of religious people. And religious people say, but hold it, I've gone to a lot of meetings. I've served or I've, sat, I've served on... I've served on the, the same boards for 20 years, or I've sat in the same pew for 20 years. I, I go to every Bible study the church has. I memorize scripture. I give to the poor. I put money in the plate. And somehow we think all of that religious stuff shows our love for Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that if you want to know how deep your walk with him is, then you tell me, how quickly and how easily and how completely you forgive other people. That will tell me where you are in your walk with God because an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. 
Now, an oxymoron does not mean a dumb cow. It just means an, there's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. No such thing. Those people who have been graced by Jesus can and ought and should grace other people. Those who've received mercy can and ought and should show mercy. Those who've been loved to the depths of their broken souls ought to be looking for people out there that are broken to whom you can offer the same thing. Nail it to the cross. Here's the second thing, also hard to do. Start right now. Some of you, I bet, I can almost tell, because I can, I can tell a little bit by body language looking at you today. You've been a pretty quiet group. That always suggests something to me. Now, these kids in front, they're up half the night. That's probably part of it. But some other people have been a little uncomfortable today. Because they probably know that God is speaking to you and me through me. You know who you got a problem with. You know who you're dealing with. Some of you, I don't know whether there's anybody in here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus or not. I can't look in your heart. But if you are, if you've not really made that step and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then maybe you just need to start at the beginning because you desperately need to know who Jesus is and you desperately need to be forgiven by him. You are the prodigal son or daughter I talked about this morning. Some of you, the best thing you could say this morning is, Father, I want to come back home. And know that if you say that, he's already scanning the horizon for you, waiting with open arms. There are also many of us here who have been, been what I call Christ followers for a long time. I mean, I've been a Christian for as long as I can even remember. Although I think I had my period of time where I was far more religious than being a Christian. But I, I think I've, I've known Jesus my whole life. By all appearances, we all look pretty good. Very few people here could look at another person in this church this morning and even suspect that you might be carrying around a ton of resentment, a whole bag full of bitterness, and a whole load of guilt. Friends, this is the time to just plain simple let it go. You've been forgiven a debt that you cannot pay. As far as I'm concerned, it's time to pass it on. Let's end with this simple prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, forgive me in the same manner in which I forgive others. Amen.